Hey friends, Ashton here, and welcome back to another episode of Good, True, and Beautiful. Hope you and yours are doing well. We have a second-time guest joining us today. A couple years back uh, with one of her books, she came on. Her name is Rebecca Lyons, and she's got a new book that's out in the world. Beautiful read. I had the chance to dig into it uh, this last week, and I know that it is uh, a book that aligns with everything that we are about here at Good, True, and Beautiful. So with that being said, uh, Rebecca, welcome back. Thank you for having me. This is fun. Absolutely. So um, I guess we probably need to start a little backwards a bit. And for those of our listeners that weren't around the first time we had you on, how do you kind of introduce yourself and your work in the world? Well, that's a great question. I uh, am now, I guess, officially I can call myself a writer. Right on. (laughs) I was reluctant uh, the first couple books, but I guess third time's the charm. I don't know. At some point you just own it. And I've been doing that for, let's see, seven years. Yeah. So this is my third book in seven years. So, uh, and it really came out of a season of walking through uh, panic disorder, mental health struggles nine years ago and started to walk into a healing journey, which we probably talked about last time. And over time, just had language for it. You know, I've, I've always been a chronic oversharer and, Writing was the vehicle for me, even as a child or growing up, reading, writing was just my way of working through things. And, and so um, since then, I've just written a couple books and started to teach those things uh, around the country. And the question I kept asking around this idea of anxiety, health, um, depression, um, was what practical actionable steps can I take today? Um, for sustained emotional health. And so my husband kept encouraging to write the end of my anxiety trilogy in this book. (laughs) And I thought, oh, great, here we go again. Because I was like, I don't want to write another book about anxiety or mental health. I want to write on home. And he's like, well, maybe we could wait a little bit longer on that. Because this really has reached um, a tipping point, I think, as a cultural um, household struggle. You know, when four out of five of us 77% of us in society today carry physical symptoms of stress. That means racing heart, sleepless nights, um, shallow breathing, a mind that won't quit. That means that we're spinning out and we really need to call attention to some proactive ways we can begin to overcome this. And I had to challenge that in my own life personally. And then over time, Gabe said, you need to start writing about the rhythms that you're living uh, because you're tripping into these and these are not new. You're just getting back to what it means to be human. And I think we need to raise uh, a voice about those things. Yeah, bingo. No, and I love, um, you know, the book's kind of divided into these four parts. Uh, and you kind of open the book talking about how uh, the first two uh, are kind of rhythms of input. And then these next two are rhythms of output. The other thing that I love is that this is kind of you actually reporting from the front line of a lot of this stuff that you experienced yourself. It's not that you necessarily went out and did some research and came back and reported the data. This is you being like, hey, I've been there. I've been in the midst of this um, and kind of bring it back to us and go, and this is what I've found has helped bring me a more joyful, peaceful, uh, less anxious presence in the world. Right. I think so. I think all of us kind of share our story of where we are, what we're learning. And over time, when we start to get some traction in what we're learning, then we think, okay, maybe this might be helpful for someone else. 
And I think of all the ways I learned in my own life. It was somebody walking a few steps ahead of me, not too far ahead to where I was like, I can't ever get there. (laughs) But more just like we're on the same path. This is someone walking alongside. I just I just discovered a couple of these things, you know, more recently. So maybe these are helpful. And I really do believe this life of living in rhythm means we never end. We don't arrive. And one day we just quit living um, in a way that's the fullness of these rhythms, I actually find these rhythms are almost a gateway to this flourishing life. So I don't ever want to stop living in rhythm now that I've wakened to it. Uh, But it's truly, um, if it is a new way of living and someone's like, hey, this is actually a hearkening back to the way we were before the industrial revolution or the digital revolution. This is, this is, we all had to live in rhythm a couple hundred years ago. But now we have the elective to try to pretend like we're machines that never get turned off because we have technology in our hands that tells us that we never should turn off. Or the Industrial Revolution has these machines that out of efficiency were never turned off. We somehow buy the lie that we are like machines and we are indispensable and and it's just not true. So when we get back to the constraints of rhythm, the boundaries of the circadian rhythm, um, um, the boundaries of connection and real friendships, not like Facebook friendships, but what are the boundaries in a human mind of how many, what's our capacity for real intimate relationships? Let's, let's just be honest about those things. And then when we are and we start to live within those constraints again, we find that it's actually a, a gateway to freedom. It yeah. truly is. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, well, let's talk about some of these rhythms. Um, first, the first two being input. And I left somewhere in the book, whether it was you or someone that you quoted, you kind of talked about how there can't be output until there's input. Um, yeah. And these, these first two really spoke to me. The first rhythm being one of rest, the rest rhythm. Uh, and mm-hmm. I loved uh, really just kind of getting to know some of your routines that you wrote about around like what you do in the morning and even sleep rituals and things like that. Talk to me about kind of what you've learned from this rest rhythm that you wrote about. Yes. I did say that you cannot run if you cannot rest. We all think we run to earn rest, you know, like just work hard, kill it until thank God it's Friday. And then we can all collapse. But the reality is that we run fueled from rest. We actually run best when we run from a posture of rest that we, if we take Sabbath seriously and and for our family, it looks like Sabbath is on Sunday. So that means that's the first day of the week. We're actually beginning our week or kickstarting our week with rest from a posture of rest so that Monday we actually have more energy, more joy, more positivity, more um, almost like we feel connected. We feel belonging in our home. And we've, you know, created some memories that didn't look like work so that by Monday we're kind of ready to go out the door and we feel like we have something to offer. And I think that's important that these input rhythms give you something to offer so that when you go back out, you're not burned out. You're not you're not just spinning out. You're not hemorrhaging publicly. You're actually fueled and filled up. Absolutely. I think it's a beautiful kind of reversal to, to a lot. I think a lot of times we've kind of taken even though we know Sunday's the first day of the week, we've kind of put it in our heads as the last day of the week, Mm -hmm. right? Like, (laughs) oh, we're going to do the input after we've done all the output. But really, that's just a recipe for burnout. It is. It is. And see, that's what's so funny. I think you think we would learn, but when God, you know, creates the earth and he rests on the seventh day and then he blesses that day, it's this idea that rest precedes blessing. Mm -hmm. And um, he's like, I'm God and I rest. And, um, you know, 
you being fully human are invited into that rest. I'm already there. I'm like, come get away with me and you'll recover your life and you'll find rest for your soul. This idea that God actually dwells in these rhythms and he's inviting us to join him there. And he's like, Hey, I, I'm going to give you peace of mind and heart and peace. The world cannot give. I'm going to give you all these things in a posture of rest. If you just meet me there, Um, you can run by me and be like, see ya. No, thanks. Um, But because rest isn't optional to God and he's not casual about it. He declares that the land rested for his people every seven years and they didn't obey. And he finally exiles them for 70 years and mm-hmm. 70 cycles of seven. They did not obey. And so the way I take that is God saying, you, you don't have to rest. I'm not going to force you. You have free will. Um, but in about seven years, you're probably going to have burnout and you're going to have to rest anyways, because your work will have to cease because you will no longer have energy for it. Yep. And you think about that in everything we do. If we don't take some intentional rest each week or intentional rest each night, (laughs) you're like, you don't have to sleep, but eventually by day three or four, you're not going to, you're going to be insane. (laughs) Yeah. Talk to me about some of that sleep data. Cause I was like super convicted about, man, I need to revolutionize the way I approach sleep. Well, and I, it's just that it's so true that if sleep is the time, and there's so many studies on this, and I reference science in mm-hmm. every chapter of the book because I think it's important that we see that faith and science go together. They actually work together and they complement. Um, God made our bodies. He knows what we, what we need, and he uses all means necessary to heal us. So it's super important to understand the scientific chemical changes around these rhythms. But sleep, for example, reestablishes re- re- our reserves each night it's like a superpower so everything you extended yesterday sleep builds those things back up you don't start the next morning with what you spent the day before Mm -hmm. no you start the next morning with being filled back to the brim like you were yesterday morning so it's not so that's why when we wake after only four hours of sleep we might have adrenaline and caffeine kicking in out of habits like bad habits But it also affects our mental clarity, headaches. It affects our ability to actually um, be in tune with what's wrong, be in tune with relationships that are disconnected. We don't, we're not even uh, discerning when we don't have good Mm -hmm. sleep. We might be just charging forward and getting the job done, but we don't have empathy. We don't tend to hear what's not being said or read nonverbal cues. And over time, obviously that's going to cost us in our work. Uh, But Also, I think sleep, I learned that my sleep strengthened when my days were more intentional. So part of the idea here is that we sit 9.3 hours a day, like sit. And so because we're not extending energy, which we get about, we start talking about in the restore rhythm, the second one, the physical strength. Because we're not being more intentional about being active during the day, we're so restless at night physically that we actually have a a hard time slowing down. Whereas if we get outside and we run or we get this extra energy out that must get out before we can sleep again, um, that's partly affecting our inability to sleep. Plus the sunset, uh, the circadian rhythm, the blue light of a sunrise tells you to wake up and the the red light of a sunset emits natural melatonin for your body, which actually tells you to go to sleep. So all the more, if you get outside, I mean, getting out in nature and creation is so vitally important for our mental health. So doing that, especially in the evenings, if you work a normal work day, make sure you get out and look at the sunset, walk around your block, get active, um, put the phone away from dinner on if you can. 
Um, I mean, I'm, I'm getting more extreme about it. I used to say an hour before now I'm kind of like, how about two hours before, (laughs) you know, another thing about digestion, if you eat too late, your body wakes you up because you're, it's doing the hard work of breaking down food at two in the morning and you don't need to do that. There are just little simple things you can do. So routines for deep sleep was a big chapter for me as well, because I really needed it. No doubt. No doubt. Um, (laughs) So those are the restore rhythms. Let's chat through these, uh, uh, sorry, the rest rhythms. Let's talk about the restore Mm -hmm. rhythms. This is really the bodily aspect of things. Eating well, uh, taking a walk, play, breaking a sweat. Um, And I know you got into it a little bit there, but um, Mm -hmm. kind of let us into what you've experienced in this world of of just being Mm -hmm. active, having having some physical movement throughout the day. Right. Well, just a brisk walk, 15 minutes or more, or brisk heart heart rate increase on any level increases serotonin in your body, which is the happy hormone. It lifts your spirits and your mood. It gives you more positivity, gratefulness, energy, and it actually makes you feel like you can accomplish something. It not only makes you happy, it makes you feel like you have some drive, Mm -hmm. which is super important for those of us who like to see results. So uh, that's why some people can get on a runner's high and then they just, they almost become obsessed with the running because it gives them a sense of purpose and accomplishment. So that's good. Unless obviously anything extreme can also be addictive. So partly, you know, the point is make sure that you are raising serotonin levels in your body naturally. Sure, there's obviously SSRIs, as we know, in medication for mental health, but there are also natural ways to actually shift the chemical imbalances in our in our brains. And so the more we understand about dopamine or serotonin, um, the more we can actually take steps, oxytocin, uh, the more we can take steps to, to put those things in place that actually keep us a little more stable mentally. Yeah. Yeah. And so you've <laughs> felt this experience. You've felt this change over the last few years as you've kind of entered mm-hmm. some of these practices. Yeah. So I'm a writer, so I could definitely sit nine hours a day in isolation, which is the, two of the worst things you should do for <laughs> mental health. And then all of a sudden I'm writing a memoir on depression. You know, I'm just <laughs> saying like part of it is creating a rhythm and I have to proactively I'm self-employed essentially I could stay home all day and just commiserate on my laptop but that's not going to yield the the fruit that I want in my life that's not going to make me actually a better writer ultimately or a better mother or a better friend so I have to proactively decide that when I'm in intense seasons of writing I typically do those more in the winter months because you can't get out as as get outside as much anyways but when you do you bundle up and I'll break up um, maybe a two-hour period of writing even in half and go for a walk within an hour hour and 15 even if it's for 20 minutes and I have to bundle up because it clears my head and it unblocks creative block Uh, and what it does is the subconscious parts of your brain start to connect the dots of the things you couldn't figure out when you were so intently like you know labored over your laptop You start to it starts to connect the dots, and I think it's really important to do that. Wasn't there and an Emerson, with, Emerson quote about walking, something like that? Ideas flow from walking, or something like that. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah, uh, yeah. I did several quotes in the book. It, again, in every chapter, there's a quote, and there is one that like this idea that angels whisper to a man when he goes for a walk. This idea yeah. of just this enlightenment, or this what it is, is it's these aha moments. Because scientifically, what's happening is your subconscious feels free again. Mm-hmm. And it starts connecting the dots without being under pressure. Mm-hmm. Not not so guarded, easily offendable. 
Um, yeah. You know, scanning the horizon for where's the enemy. Th these practices yeah. actually free the subconscious a bit. Right. Because, it, you know, one scientific thing that's awesome is like when you first wake up, the first 40 minutes after you wake, you're most in tune with your subconscious and your natural eat. Your natural ego defenses are down. So it's actually a really great, great time to write in a journal form, not so much for, <laughs> for public consumption, <laughs> but, but the things that come through that in public, um, you can actually use down the road in, in more public consumption because they actually awakened you. They almost were revelatory mm -hmm. in what you, what the insights that you gain from those things, because you're not so busy trying to edit yourself. Interesting. That's a good word. Um, awesome. So that's kind of the restore rhythm on the bodily side. And question, and maybe I'm wrong on this, would you consider the rest rhythm kind of the heart, mind, soul space, and then this restore rhythm kind of the bodily reset? I don't, I don't know. That wasn't really yes. in the book, but could you kind of put that over both of those, you know, topics of the book? Yes. Yeah. It's as if you were in my brain. I, you know, it's funny is I wrote the book, turned it in, published the book. And then as I got talking about it, I was like, all along, rest was the spiritual inner mm -hmm. life, yeah. Yeah. the mind, will, and emotions. Yeah. And, and restore was the physical life. Yeah. And connect was the relational health life. And then uh, create is the vocational life. It's this comprehensive picture of holistic healing. Yeah, symphony. Yeah. yeah, totally. So you let's can't, talk. You, Go ahead. No, I was just saying you can't, you, you can kill it in one and all of us have a dominant rhythm, but that just means the other three need some help. That's, right. That's all. That's right. Yeah. Um, so this connect rhythm and really this is the relationships in our life. I always say the people that you've been entrusted and none of us are going to have 5,000 friends, even though Facebook's going to let you think that you can. Um, talk to me about these rhythms of connection because, uh, this isn't like, I think this is where we're all kind of realizing that relationships are simple and quiet, beautiful things. They're not worlds of retweeting and everything else that some people may think that they are. Right. And anyone who lived a hundred years ago knows this, yep. you know, it, it was, it's so funny. They're probably listening into our conversation. They're not, you know what I mean? <laughs> but if they could, They'd be like, oh, are you seriously like having whole podcast episodes about like what it means to be human and to have a friend and to talk to them and look at them across the table and actually embrace or make eye contact. But that's what it looks like today to swim upstream and to counter culture that that's coming against us that says, you know, no, friendship is actually a virtual thing that we can commodify and market to. I mean, essentially, that's where it's going. And so now it's more about, OK, if we can get offline again, like we always have wanted to do, and um, especially in the next generation who haven't known anything outside mm -hmm. of this. It's giving them those moments of being fully human, feeling, feeling pain, joy, grief, laughter, loss. All those things are real emotions that we don't have to run from or hide from. It's part of maturity. It's part of life experience. And um, friendship and community is the best way to encounter those things. Um, and so the lie of the enemy is that you're better off alone so that you don't actually have to ever show a vulnerable side. But it's not true. You're only loved to the measure that you're known. And so part of being known means you lead in vulnerability and then you in friendship, somebody responds in vulnerability. That's called peer to peer, ironing, sharpening iron, uh, 
showing empathy and love toward one another. A one-sided friendship that's needy is never going to last. But when you have two mutual parties that are saying, hey, I don't have this figured out and here's what I'm learning. Um, Would you walk alongside me as I discover these things? And the other person, yes, will you walk alongside me as well? Like that's, that's covenant, that's commitment, that's permanent and proximate and present. Like that's what community needs, permanence, proximity, and presence. Um, this says, I'm, gonna, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to keep showing up. And when things are hard for you, I'll be strong. And when things are hard for me, you can help me. And that's what real relationship looks like, hmm. whether it's family, community, friendships, you name it. Permanence, proximity, presence. Yes. Yeah, beautiful. <clears throat> the, the phrase, I think, for me that just stuck out, and you did a great job of bringing it home over and over to this, is just be the friend that you wish you had. That, mm-hmm. that if, if you feel like something's missing here in your life relationally, perhaps you may need to go out there and be that friend until you find that friend that you think you're missing. Um, right. I love that. Yeah. I mean, someone's going to have to lead. And I do think, um, I don't think this is true. There's a loneliness epidemic happening. 47% of people our age are saying that um, they feel and experience deep feelings of loneliness. And then 26% are saying they don't have a one real deep friendship, like a true mm-hmm. lifelong friend. And as a result, what happens from that is, um, is depression ensues because we are communal beings. We have to have other people. That's why solitary confinement is exactly that. That's the cruelest form of punishment is to uh, isolate and alienate someone from the rest of the human race because that's just not, it's primal. Uh, That's not what we were made for. Um, That's why kids, you know, orphans and orphanages that are left in a bed to cry and no one picks them up, you know, they have reactive attachment disorders their whole life because they actually are not made. We were never made to actually be abandoned and alone Hmm. ever. Like our survival depends on our relationships. And so as a result, I do think we cannot overlook the connect rhythm, the relational need for health, how vital it is. And simple things like if you hold a hug for five seconds or longer, three to five seconds, not just like a high hug. And if you do that, that's, that's good. That's step in the right direction. But, but like if you hold a hug or, or, or embrace someone you love, um, it emits oxytocin um, in your brain, which it's, it's the feelings of connection, togetherness and belonging. So again, you can do things, take action, even with my teens, you know, they're not going to want me to embrace them in front of their friends, but they certainly, when they come home for a long day, they are not pushing or resisting a hug. They want to feel connection and they want to know that mom's here. She's not going anywhere. And I belong to this family. Yep. Yep. And I love just, just that presence even creates change at the cellular level. Um, Mm -hmm. I love, I love the science behind that. Um, All right, so the last rhythm being create, and this is the one you know where we're all like, what should I do with my life? Um, right. But I, I think it was I, for me the thing that spoke to me most about le- letting this be that last rhythm is this idea, and you wrote it in there. I may be paraphrasing it a bit. That once we're full of life, then we can't help but create something. And really, right. we've we've had the input of rest, of restore. And you know what? Even connection is, is to a degree, there's some input there. Talk to me about mm-hmm. this idea of um, the create rhythm, that once we're full of all this life, then mm-hmm. from the overflow, we can go out and do the things that we long to do. Right. Because even connection 
allows you to create in collaboration because right. yeah. most most gifts you offer the world were not done in isolation yeah. even writing I have a team of like five editors that are like, actually, there's a better way you could say this sentence. <laughs> and, you know, and I think about that in those final stages of how vital it is to be a part of a group of people who have a, a shared common goal. Like there's so much more fun doing what you love alongside the people that you love, yeah. the, the game players that God puts in your path. Um, creating a loan would not be that that would just not be as much fun to celebrate. It wouldn't be rewarding. It certainly wouldn't keep you going. So connect builds to create as well. And I do think the create piece is the culmination. I mean, it's, it, God says, Hey, you know, I knit you in your mother's womb. My works are wonderful. And your frame was not hidden when I made you in the secret place. And my eyes saw your unformed body and all your days were written in my book and planned before one of them began. Meaning a father calls out destiny over his son and daughter, even as he knits them and crafts them in the womb. And if you're a person of faith, you believe that then God made us with a purpose and he gave us the gifts, the birthright gifts to live, to fulfill that purpose. And he invites us to join him in doing that. Sometimes we run ahead. Sometimes we, we lag behind because we don't, we're not willing to risk or we actually want to do it on our terms. But in general, if we surrender and we trust and we take the next right step, then typically we find those things flushing out when we are walking in health. Uh, our hearts begin to sing. We recall the things of our youth, whether we're eight or nine or 10, the things that made us come alive as kids that, you know, almost drove our parents crazy because we loved doing those things so much. And we had not learned yet how to be afraid. Uh, we got to go back to those children that we were and go, what was it about me then that I was just curious about that? I, you know, that I never got tired of that. I would, I would do today for free. Um, and like, listen to those whispers of calling. And there are several good books out there that have shaped, sh like really shaped my life around the idea of vocation and how it really ought to be a joy. It ought to be a joy. It's not a first world conversation. This is just a human conversation that it ought to be a joy when we walk in the gifts we've been given. And I've had this conversation with girls around the globe, girls that are in third world countries in poverty around the globe still have dreams and ambitions in their hearts that they want to recover to help go back and fund their families, their communities, their, you know, wherever their hardships is that they've walked from. We were all made to want to, to be this um, physical, tangible expression of the things that are in our heart. We want to see those come out. We want to see those talents be used to redeem the things that, that break our hearts. That's calling for your talents and that your burdens collide. Yep. yep. Good word. Um, so kind of to wrap this up and you kind of started the book here, but I, I wanted to finish this conversation here around taking inventory um, mm -hmm. because I think that that kind of helps. Sometimes we're going so fast that you can hear a conversation like this and be like, yeah, that's not for me. But mm -hmm. once you pause a bit and have some time to take some inventory of maybe some of the things, some of the pain you're actually not feeling because mm -hmm. of the speed you're navigating your days with, you called it acknowledging the push and pull. Um, mm -hmm. And I love, you know, it was just a few questions. What's right? What's wrong? What's confused? What's missing? Talk to me about kind of that grouping of questions and how you've developed that over the years. Well, it was introduced to me from my life coach years ago, um, goodness, years and years ago. And uh, part of us, we don't know 
those answers because we don't <laughs> stop long enough to no. even consider. All we know is that we're trying to barrel through life and our bodies are getting in the way. <laughs> and we're like, come on, what do I need to do so that I can run harder and faster and not feel shallow breathing or not feel anxious? Yeah. We're like, well, let's, let's actually reverse that question and go, what do you need to undo yeah. in your life to stop running harder and faster and not feel like shallow breathing and anxious? Because the truth is when we get quiet, that's when the truth starts to surface and we, we need to know what we need to change. We begin to discover things we need to confess, things we need to lay down, people we need to forgive, memories that we need to let surface so that we can heal instead of shoving them back down, um, shame we have to reconcile and release. Uh, there's a lot of heart healing that's connected to emotional health and wellness and we have got to have talk therapy. We've got to have counseling. You know, we've got to have proactive ways um, for wholeness, I think. And so these rhythms, if you just jump into the rhythms, you start doing them. Yes, you'll see results. But I don't think you'll see the same results if you don't start with taking inventory yeah. of your life. Yeah. Because the honest confessions that we write out the things that are not working, the relationships that are broken, the rejection that we continue to carry after a decade and we put it and project it in any new relationships. If we can't get that stuff out, then the rhythms will just be another like how to fix it. But we won't experience the fullness of growth and maturity because what you want to become is a transformation. You want to be a new thing like renewal. I love this word. It means to become new, to be, to be made like new. And then rhythm means again and again and again. So it's this idea of like, if you're going to be made new, the old has to be done. It has to be dead. It has to be stopped. And it can't be stopped until you know what it is. And you say, I refuse to act as if this is true anymore. I mean, that's what repentance is. It means a hard stop from the way that I'm currently living or the things that I'm currently believing, the lies that I'm believing. Because I want change to be transformative so much so that I will look like a new person in a year, in six months, in three months. I want to become new. I don't want to continue going back to the muscle memory or the old patterns that used to be there. I want to be changed. And part of that begins with taking inventory. Yep, good word. And it, and it repeats itself. Like I feel like I'm in a season where a few years ago I learned the great lesson of some of these rhythms. And guess what? I'm having to relearn it again. Like I'm having exactly. to become, I think a lot of us, we've thought transformation, resurrections, one and done. No, it's just the pattern. Mm -mm. And it and it's it is. always happening to us, for us and within us. Right. Well, you think about it. God's regenerative and he's the author of life, which means he's always making us new over and over because death is continuing to come against us. And so the thing that tried to take you out a year ago might look different today, but it That's doesn't right. mean there aren't still things trying to take you out. Yeah. And so that renewal means you are renewing your mind in such a way that you know how to respond differently today and this year than you might have last year or three years ago. Good word. <laughs> um, so who would you invite? to read this book as you uh, have released it into the world. Our listeners are listening to this. Who would you say, Hey, come, uh, come thumb through these pages and uh, see what you find. You know, I would invite the person who's like, I think where I was and where I can be tempted to be, where I put a lot of my stock in what I give out there in a public way. 
And sometimes the first things that pay the price for that are my own um, personal ability to receive love, whether it's from God or my people. Um, it's, it's for the person who might feel guarded, you know, uh, privately because they live in a public way or, or might be the person who, um, just is, is suffering from even relationships that are broken, uh, or, or strained in their own families just because of stress, just because of, just because of fear, anxiety, uh, for moms like me, you are raising kids who are, this is all they know. And if I could tell you the amount of people who bought this book for their children and are reading it alongside their teenage daughters and sons, it's countless. Um, And it begins to open up a dialogue, I think, with questions at the end of each chapter for real honest conversations so that we as parents can be equipped to know how to navigate this for our kids. I think, honestly, some of the contents in this book is life and death. I look at the deaths of despair that are happening in our day, suicide, depression, um, addiction, opioid, alcoholism. Like this is the first time in our generation, in our actually since the war that that the median age is lowering um, in the middle age class. And it's partly due to deaths of despair. And so partly it's like, goodness gracious, we are on the throes of a collective panic attack as a society. And what is our part? What do we do to hold back the tide of people who really feel a loss of hope? Um, And so if it's not you, it's probably someone you know. And so this will help give you tools and resources to talk to that person. Yep. Yeah, no doubt. Four rhythms for more love, more peace, more patience, uh, and less of an anxious presence in the world. My, oh my, do we not all need that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. well, Rebecca, super grateful for you and your work in the world. Thanks for coming on again. Sure do appreciate yes. it. Um, you've always got, the door's always open. So uh, when the next book comes out, come on, you got a seat. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Enjoy the conversation. You bet. Uh, for our followers and listeners that want to uh, follow you and your work, where would you invite us to go? Sure. I think probably the first step would take the online quiz. It's RebeccaLines.com slash quiz, and it'll tell you what's your healthiest rhythm. And it's a real fun, just easy five minute multiple choice. And it'll give you um, feedback on how to strengthen the other three. And if you want to get the book, it's um, at anywhere books are sold, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Costco, and now several retailers are starting to carry it, which is fun. Um, and you can find a lot of free resources on my website. It's just RebeccaLyons.com. Beautiful. R-E-B-E-K-A-H-L-Y-O-N-S. It's spelled a little different. Wonderful. Uh, well, hey, thank you again. Super grateful for you coming on. And uh, like I said, we'll have you back anytime you're ready. Thank you. Take care. Hey, before you go, don't forget to hit subscribe right there on your phone. That's probably where you're listening. Uh, And if you enjoyed this, would you mind leaving us a review? One of the things that we're wanting to do is get this information out to as many people as we can. And we are finding that uh, when people leave good, true, and beautiful reviews, uh, that helps us get this information out more and more to people all across the world. I do not take it lightly uh, that you invite me to ride shotgun with you in your car. 
you allow these conversations to be a part of your jogs. You allow these conversations to be a part of the communities and families and businesses that you've been entrusted. Uh, I do not take that lightly at all, and I am thrilled uh, that you have joined us here at this table, at this conversation. There's always a seat left. There's always room for more. Uh, and we are just so grateful for you guys joining us here at Good, True, and Beautiful. And as you approach this week, may you pause by the orchid, listen to the bluebirds sing, and be love.